0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamarel. Okay, this week we are hearing from Prescott Niles. Prescott was the bassist for The Knack. Of course, everyone remembers The Knack. They come out huge in 1979 with their debut album, Get the Knack. My Sharona, right here, becomes a number one hit, but almost immediately a backlash forms, and they never quite overcome it. Over the years there were many stops and starts reunions, breakups, whatever it might be, Prescott, as you'll notice in this conversation, is very eager to kind of set the record straight and to tell the story, the real story of what happened with the Knack versus what you might read in Wikipedia. Some of the reasons for the backlash, Doug Figer, who's no longer with us, his uh, lyrics, um, his thought, Prescott's thoughts on all these things, you'll notice Prescott is very Uh, it's very important to him to make sure the correct story is put out there. And he deserves it. The Knack were a great band, and they got kind of a bad, raw deal. So anyway, we cover all of it. Each album, what went into it all, what he's been doing ever since. In fact, there's a couple things that are kind of of interest, I think, to music lovers. Number one, he uh, has been, for the last few years, playing with Missing Persons. I I just saw Missing Persons in concert a few months ago. I didn't know he was in it. That's so awesome. And then also, he is about to... In fact, by now, he's probably have, uh, beginning it. He's going out on tour playing with Gary Myrick. And you might remember Gary from the Valley Girls soundtrack. So, there's a lot of things to cover. In fact, his kids are all in a band called Gateway Drugs. I'm going to tell you more about them at the very end of the, of the podcast, okay? But anyway, there's a lot to be had here. If you're a Knack fan, you're going to learn more than you ever thought you could know. About the knack, okay. Everything is in here. Lots of interesting stories. He's a really good guy. He called me from his home in LA. Well, um, so for starters, <clears throat> I uh, I find it real. I want to touch when we talked last week about you being in missing persons. I um, I didn't realize that you that's where you were at these days. And like I said, I saw the uh, Lost '80s live show, and I want to say oh, that's it, right. Yeah, I want to say it was, I think it was the beginning of September, end of August, beginning of September, and it was at Fiddler's Green here in Denver. Yeah. And, that's, and and my son played drums. Yes. And I had no idea that that was you. That is wild. How long have you been doing that? I've been uh, playing with missing persons probably five years. Really? How did this happen?
1: Well, it's pretty simple. I mean, I've, I, I knew Dale... Um, Before she ever took her clothes off. No, I'm (laughs) sorry. I met Dale probably in the middle 70s. She was working as an assistant to a very uh, famous photographer, Moshe Bracco, I think his name is. Mm -hmm. And also, she's from Boston, and I met a a musician, um, Greg, who is also from Boston. And I was playing with him for a little bit. So I kind of knew her, and we took off. I wasn't around when Missing Persons, you know, they were signed Uh by the uh, same guy who uh, discovered us, uh, Bruce Raven, who discovered us for Capitol. He signed both bands. Yeah. How about that? Huh. So through the years, Dale's been on shows. We, you know, we played together with multiple bands. So, you know, I've always been seeing her. So I guess one day she, you know, she's had different um, incarnations of the band. Mm -hmm. And uh, it seemed like a good fit. She called me, we got together, I did a show and, I like the music and she's, you know, she's cool. I've known her, so it's good. That's great. Okay.
0: Now, is Mm -hmm. that your like primary steady gig at this point? Mm. Well, yes and no. I mean, in the interim, I've toured with, uh,
1: Mike Panera's rock and roll all stars. Mm. I guess we can call our heroes, which is a funny word. (laughs) And, uh, I never thought I'd be doing, uh, theater, well, the drummer was Albert Buschel from Blue Oyster called Goldie mm-hmm. McJohn from Wolf was on keyboards. So that's I never mild. thought I'd be doing Ride, Captain, Ride, Fear mm-hmm. the Reaper, Born to be Wild, and My, My Sharona in the same set. How's that? <laughs>
2: Those now are that's
1: classics. A, that's a magic carpet ride for yeah. sure. But um, I did okay. that for a while. I've been playing with somebody called Mickey Free. Oh, uh, uh, I feel like
0: I know that name.
1: Yeah, Mickey uh, was originally in Shalimar. And he's got like does like a lot of blues stuff.
2: Okay, uh, that's blues
1: kind of a little bit of Hendrix influence, Native Indian stuff too. So
2: I've
1: been playing with him. Um, in the meantime, now I'm also playing with Gary Myrick and the Figures, who is reforming. Very nice. And I'll be doing shows with him also. So. You know, and I, I, I love playing. I like performing. I like recording,
2: uh-huh.
1: and it's a, it's a privilege to be healthy enough mentally and physically. Yeah. And to, to enjoy the privilege of playing. I mean, not every night's a home run, but you know, whether it's ten people or a couple of hundred or a thousand. Fiddler's Green was actually a few yeah. thousand that night. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's a lot of fun. It, it, it's in a way, it's keeping. In communication with people And makes you feel more relevant Uh Rather than being in the studio So I I like the balance between the two
0: That's great because You know, part of I think The story of the Knack Is 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 how sort of short-lived they were You know, huge Out of the gate And then a steep drop-off and it's all over as a it's all over within about two years. I mean they you know, there's reunion shows and there's comeback albums and stuff like that, but as a as a mm. major concern.
1: Well well, that's probably more of the generic way, the oh, is Wikipedia that way of looking okay. at it. Huh. Well, yeah, there's been successes and failures. I mean after I'll talk about the first album and some decisions, possibly managerial decisions and maybe uh Lead singer decisions just didn't help our craft. But we did break up a few times. I'll go through the history of it. But uh, we got back together for a third album and toured and, you know, broke up, got back together to another album i will get into. And then, so basically, I'd say in spite of the early success, uh, we really were together for 30 years until Doug uh, finally got, uh, you know, got cancer and couldn't yeah. perform anymore. So we were on, always on good tours. And the thing about the knack was, we were not a dated band. We didn't have mm-hmm. since, <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: or electronic drums and, and the integrity of the musicianship and the caliber of the songs too, I believe is what, you know, people came to see and we Good always uh, gave great shows. So in, in a lot of people, yeah, in a way when you have such a big success and somehow you may, if you, you know, stepped on some mm-hmm. landmines literally mm-hmm. and then, you know, it's easy for people to write it off. We were never, the crit- I wrote a uh, poem called Never the Critics Darling. Mm. And that was something that we stepped into and kind of gave it gave them ammunition in some respects. But uh, the integrity of the music, you know, whether we had a top ten hit again or didn't, the integrity of the uh, musicianship and the opportunities were there. So it, you know, we kept playing. We weren't on like an oldies tour. We were always getting really good billing and, and no. always playing at, at yeah. top form. You know, changing drummers in the course of it, but otherwise, yeah. myself,
0: Burton, and Doug still managed to work it out and, and perform at a high level. You guys were so good and and I you were mentioning about never being a critic's darling. I've always been baffled why that would be because the amount of respect that gets paid to uh power pop bands of your era, that whether it be Cheap Trick or uh you know Greg Kinn or <clears throat> those kind of artists that were coming out around that same time, who were making such great music? Yes, power pop never like rose as as much as you, you know. You guys sort of got to number one, and then it was like no one else quite did after that. Maybe Rick Springfield, I guess. But you would. Th- it's always been sort of a critic's darling. I would. I would have thought. But no. Why? Why the backlash against the well, knack that came, and no one else? That came out. That actually um, came as a result of the success of things
1: we did and didn't do. A lot of the bands we were playing with. Some had been together longer than us. You know, we had, we had done a lot of shows in L.A. within the first year we got, you know, we got together. Our first show was at the Whiskey mm-hmm. in 1978, June 1st, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we were just playing the club circuit. I mean, we were like any other band. We had to prove ourselves to be worthy sure. of anything. And more we played, new music was being written. So a lot of the songs in Get the Knack came from a lot of the live shows when the band was together. Hmm. And, and, I, and, and before I go through the history of the band, I think what you were asking me was the fact that not only did we do the album effortlessly, you know, mm-hmm. literally for $15,000 in two weeks, you know, since we, nobody knew who we were. The fact that we had this gigantic,
0: yeah. well, the
1: album was actually, believe it or not, the album was released first. And Capital and their
0: wisdom didn't, didn't release your own as the first single. What was the first single? Well, no, there was no single. Oh, it was thing. just sort of Everybody out there. The, okay. We were in Europe
1: touring, and they released the album to radio. And within the first two hours, I obviously, Sharona was the most requested song in America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Capital Capitol took like a two to three weeks to get out the single. So the album was number one first, and then the single became number one. Got it's kind of it. backwards. But that's what happened. But I think the fact that a lot of other bands, managers, possibly... You know, didn't have such great a success right off the bat. I think there was a lot of jealousy. Hmm. You know, just d- different types of jealousy for sure. I mean, we we were into donnas We played hard, but once we got to success, the inability to be part of the business due to managerial decisions and not doing the things you should do yeah. in the in the community to be part of it. We were still touring and really just doing our thing. And as a result, I think there was a sense of uh, exclusion Hmm. and the critics didn't, you know, they were ready to really, you know, shoot the bullets like, well, they were too big, too quick. I mean, who do they think they are, the Beatles?
0: Well, okay, so I'm glad you said that because, so to be completely honest, the whole Knack thing sort of came and went before I was cognizant of it. I would have been six years old in 79. And so um, you guys, I I came to the knack later, you know, probably around the time of Reality Bites. But when I go back and I read the history and I do my research on you guys, that seems to be where a lot of the criticism is rolled up into is this idea that a band could come along and tell people, you don't need to know the Beatles. You can start with us. We're bringing the '60s and the and the British invasion no. and all that right here, and and it was people's reaction to that. Is that what it was really? Well, that was no, that was that was
1: a postscript. What really got us on the map was because we were really good musicians uh, and playing the troubadour in Los Angeles. People started to jam with us. Yeah, I don't know if you read about that, but um, Eddie Money.
2: Mm -hmm. Jammed
1: with us at the Starwood. We did Two Tickets to Paradise. You know, we met him, we talked, we did a cover of the song. We jammed with Tom Petty at the Troubadour. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. like word of mouth. We were like a hot band in L.A., and we ended up jamming with him. Bruce Springsteen, a few months later, was in town, and in the audience, I think my drummer, Bruce, uh, had met him before, so he came up. Uh, Later on, uh, Steve Stills jammed with us, Ray Derek jammed with us. We did some door songs. So, to me, that acceptance by musicians before the album ever came out was what I was most proud of. I mm-hmm. didn't know we had, we'd have a hit album. I mean, I, I, I mean, the only Good person that knew was Mike Chapman. And Mike Chapman came along a little bit later, before we got the record deal, and Mike knew. He said, "You got a number one." I said, "Really? How do you know?" Well, Mike had number
2: one.
1: <laughs> you know, he's working on Blondie at the same yeah. time we did Get the Knack, and you know, we had a lot of success with English bands, you know, uh, Slade, Susie Quattro, among many other bands, you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So Mike was that uh, more about that. But we were just playing in L.A. and a lot of record companies were interested in signing us. Uh, Capitol Records were there at the very beginning. And it, it felt more like we knew everybody in, in the company. You know, the male people came down, the, the clerks, the secretaries, everybody came down. So we really felt like home. And... You know, Polygram, for instance, offered us a million dollars a sign. We didn't care about the money because, you know, you owe more money. Okay, and Capital true. just felt right. And I will say that, Doug, we all love the Beatles. And I think Doug more so contributed to some of the Beatle imagery. The mm-hmm. record label, maybe the back cover. The front cover was not, a, it was not supposed to be Meet the Beatles. It was shot by yeah. a good friend of mine. Randy Saint Nicholas, who was actually her first uh, photo shoot. We didn't have any money, so Randy <laughs> agreed to do it. And she's one of the. She's actually got a, a second book on prints coming out uh, in a month or so. Oh, cool! She's a dear friend, but she became a brilliant photographer. So that was all just
0: part of it. And, and mm-hmm. the
1: capital label, I, I mean, yes, you know, you can say, well, you know, who presented? You know, I've I've had people come up to me. Or interviews I've done, where they told me that uh, the the, uh, the story went that Capitol Records actually, uh, you know, financed us, pre- pre- uh, gave us all the hype, did all the advertising, and they were promoting us as the new Beatles, which is all BS.
0: No, oh. mm.
1: Capital came in much later when we signed with Capitol, mm. and really, it was just word of mouth. Actually, if you listen to the knack, we sounded. More like The Who and The Kings.
0: Uh-huh. I agree. Yeah.
1: And except for maybe tonight, the ballad, because it's got backwards drums and some Beatles-esque uh, guitar parts. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the album and Sharona can be farther from the Beatles.
3: I don't know why I never said it before. I don't know why I wait. It's so long to be sure, but I, everything's coming, something is coming, maybe tonight.
0: I totally and, agree.
1: Yep. And Bruce and Bruce Gary, God bless him. Not only was he my best friend, I have played with bands with him before The Knack. His drumming is one of the best drummers not only in rock, but he he could do progressive, you know, fusion, Mahavishnu stuff. And he yeah. was a he loved he could do Ringo and he could do Keith Moon, and he could do Billy Cobham, but hmm. he, he was instrumental. So if anything, I mean my bass parts, I could do a lot of improvising. I came up with really good parts, but and the guitar playing Burton too. That's solo. That's uh, solo and Sharona. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they made the edited version of it later on. Right. When the album came out, there was no edit. There was no 45 version. That solo, you know, and and I, And most people I play with still don't play it right. My daughter yeah. actually nails it, and you can check it out on YouTube. <laughs> I will actually, and she's Great. technically good enough, but it, But it's it, it, Burton phrased it made a, a, a melodically engaging, virtuoso solo. And
0: mm-hmm. it
1: bothers me that that is more, not more, um, um, you yeah. know, what's the word I want to play? respected. Respected, Th- right. Because Burden, Burden was a brilliant musician. I mean, we could break, Doug would break a guitar string, and he'd play rhythm guitar, and yeah. we would sometimes break into third song from the sun, or we'd go into a Kareem mm-hmm. song, or we'd go into bebop. Wow. Nice. 'Cause we're really a, a versatile band and huh. so I mean that, that all went with it. But the, the Beatles thing, when the album came out and uh, I should have sent you a picture of it, there was an article by Robert Hilburn. A big uh you know yeah uh, right, big one. Anyway, he took a picture of the Beatles and our album and juxtaposed them like one was on top, one was on the bottom. I still uh-huh. have the newspaper article. And he was are uh, they had the new Beatles? So once that started Uh, That's when the seeming comparison started, not so much by us, but to us.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay.
1: And and once somebody's judging you on that high a bar, you're done.
0: Yeah, it's true. It kind of did in Oasis. You know, Oasis has never, never got the appreciation over here. And there's people who are still sort of bigoted against Oasis because they claim too much to be the next Beatles or whatever, and that's just like sacrilege in certain people's minds. You just can't say that, whether the band saying it themselves or a marketer or whatever. Well they uh, had
1: a unique thing. They had a unique story too. I mean, yeah, obviously they're English, so there's yeah. more of a connection. There was right. more than one singer. They were brothers. Yeah. And there was a whole nother storyline to it. If anything, I think they they were more grateful
0: for that comparison yeah yeah probably um i wanted to ask you this and this is something that came up a lot in my research as i mentioned i think you uh from what i understand you were signed to capital with like after a bidding war to like the biggest signing bonus in rock history was that true and are you able no, to we say took what the that smallest, is
1: we took the smallest bonus in rock history really
0: so i read okay yeah. so what i read was wrong okay
1: well, there you go. There's a lot yeah. of, you know, I'm not here to correct the... Uh, the well, no, that's uh,
0: why we do this. Otherwise, we could all just sit home and read Wikipedia. We don't have to talk yeah, to this, you guys. This, I know. Well, this isn't even being, uh, on my part, I'm really
1: being truly objective, you know? Yeah. Um, the first album I did in 1972, we, when we came to California, I, I, I played in a group called the Velvet Turner Group. Yeah. The reason I'm mentioning it is that it's that album is coming out on record day it was released in 72. Family Productions is re-releasing it uh, at the end of the month. And that's the first album I did, Velvet. Through Velvet, I had met Jimi Hendrix in New York. Mm-hmm. And when Jimi had died, we supposedly were going to be part of the next Jimi. Anyway, we oh, got wow. 100000 to do an album. That was back in 1972. Oh, really? Okay? Wow. We got, got 100000 from Capital. Mm. That was the record deal, and the truth is, we did the... Now, here's a, here's a funny story. It's a timeline. When we went into the studio to start doing Get the Knack, it was at a studio called MC Whitney, which mm. is in Glendale. Most people were going to bigger studios. We Mike was comfortable there, and we went in there. Mike was working on Blondie, and they were working on Heart of Glass
2: mm-hmm.
1: just down the hall from us. We not only finished the album and mixed it, and Mike was still working on Heart of Glass with Blondie.
2: No way, words, really?
1: Yeah, some songs maybe take more to put together. Mike Mm -hmm. also sang, you know, probably rewrote some of it. But we were, I mean, when people call us one-hit wonders, I beg to differ. I call us one-take wonders. Mm. Because Sharona was one take.
0: Really? The whole song, one take?
1: Yeah, I mean, Bird overdubbed a couple of parts, Doug overdubbed a couple of minor vocal fixes. But Mike saw us live. He said he wants it to come in. When we came in to do Sharona, it wasn't the first song we did. But every other song was just like that. Mike said, let's do a run-through. We did the run-through. Mike goes, okay, I got it. And we go, what do you mean? We just ran it through. He goes, yeah. I got it. Next. Mike no knew way. that there's no reason to do it 10 times if you got yeah. it. Yeah. And, and so I call us One Take Wonders. So the album right. was literally done and mixed and mastered literally within a three weeks.
0: That's wild. That is wild. And,
1: and that, that has a lot to do with Mike's ability as a producer. Yeah. To to hear the songs, to realize it was you know when he felt like he had thrown an idea,
2: mm-hmm. he
1: would throw it in. But he felt comfortable knowing our music and seeing us perform, that he wanted to get the energy and the excitement of what we did live. And it was you know because we were good technicians at what we did, and we can basically play a track through without screwing it up like a lot yeah. of bands had problems with. So Mike really went with that and I think that's why the album has that that freshness and spontaneity. Yeah. That and I give a lot of credit to Mike for not a lot of producers feel that I have to put their stamp on somebody Mm -hmm. you know, on an album. Mike got a great vocal sound, a great band sound, but it's basically he knew what to do and you know, I love him for that, you
0: know. Yeah. Let's uh, let me ask you about Good Girls Don't. That was the follow up single, I think it reached number eleven.
3: and dream Schoolboy stuff A sticky sweet romance And she makes you wanna scream Wishing you could get inside her pants So you bend sides away While you're squeezing her talk about the teachers that she hates and she says she's all alone and her parents won't be coming
4: home till late
0: You know, one thing I think is interesting is I've had I've done enough of these interviews with people now, and and there's always a disappointment when someone's song doesn't reach number one. And I've go I've I have to admit I've grown to start thinking, what's what's so bad with being number eleven? That means there are only ten songs in the world more popular than yours. Is that so hard to swallow? How did well, you feel well, when Good Girls Don't reach number eleven? Well, is that okay? Good Girls
1: Don't. It, at that time, it's the fact it, that our album was number one was the greatest uh, yeah. praise for uh, us. You know, if, if let's say the single came out first and went to number one, the album was number 10. I'd feel a little worse.
2: Yeah, The okay. fact that
1: the album went number one first and wrote the charts, to me, is is the band triumphing and the material being good enough that the album didn't have any flaws, literally. Yeah,
0: okay.
1: So and I think in some charts, uh, Good Girls Don't Got a Little Bit Higher, but it didn't really matter at that point because uh, I think the album itself, you know, and here's an interesting thing, uh, two years ago, Capitol had this, uh, I think it was the uh, 70th anniversary or something of Capitol Records. Mm. And they picked, they picked Get the Nack of this, one of the 70 albums and, of, you know,
0: nice.
1: uh, uh, to celebrate as part of their history. It wasn't Sharon, it was the album.
0: That's great. And
1: that gave me, and um, I wish Doug was here to have enjoyed it. I did get mm-hmm. burden to go. But that mm-hmm. to me was more fulfilling that the album was recognized as that's you know because you know, as you know from all the press everything's about my Sharona that's mm-hmm. the that's the tagline the storyline the
2: mm-hmm. the
1: sync line the the girl get girl boy gets girl gets boy gets girl
2: mm-hmm.
1: storyline that I guess added mystery to the the whole saga of it but I'm um, I'm really proud of the uh, of the oh. album but I think the success of Sharon. Now, here's the other thing, really quickly. I, I got to mention this. Remember, I said in the beginning that because we didn't involve ourselves in the business?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, <clears throat> we were in Europe when the album came out. The first time I actually heard any Nat songs was Good Girls Don't in Liverpool, oh,
0: across no way. the street
1: from Eric's Tavern where the Beatles play. You know, at the, uh,
0: oh, way. The,
1: how's that for a... <laughs> that is uh, great. A, it wasn't Sharon, it was Good Girls Don't. That That's the song great. we heard together. So mm-hmm. that was interesting. The fact is, we did television in all over Europe, Australia, pretty much everywhere we went. We never did American television. Now, really? if you want to talk about how you can screw up a great success, there you go. Yeah. In other words, everybody wanted us. Doug and Scott felt that, because we had such a big success, we needed to be more selective. So we didn't do Midnight Special. We didn't do John Kirshner's rock concert. Oh. We were offered Dick Clark, of all things to do in life, to do American Bandstand. That's what I would have thought. To, he also wanted to, was developing a script for us, believe it or not, to do like oh, a really? small movie. Because things were so chaotic managerial-wise, and we were playing a lot, you know, we never got back to the clock. So not only do we not do American Bandstand, or the other shows, and it breaks my heart to this day when I see all my friends who are in the, Mm -hmm. you know, bands, they're all you know, in their glory playing. We didn't do that. We were nominated for two Grammy nominations,
0: by the way. Oh, cool. I didn't realize. In 79,
1: Best New Artist and Best Song of the Year. Nice. Well, if we had done some, let's say, shaking of hands, and slapping on the back, and been more ingratiating, not only would we have been able to perform Sharona at the Grammys, we didn't even go to the Grammys.
0: Oh, man.
1: We Uh. were in Japan on a second tour in a freaking blizzard. So, in other words, a lot of the things, you know, I I mentioned this may sound strange to you, uh, you know, like in uh, young people comes every year in the Jewish faith, it's New Year, as you know, in the day of whatever, judgment. Mm -hmm. But but what you what you're basically asking for is forgiveness for not only sins of commission. In other words, you know, you stole somebody's this, you stole a right. girlfriend, you know, you, you were an asshole, whatever. But it's the, sin, the other words, the sins of omission. Meaning, I hate to be theological, but it's true. The sins of omission, the things sure. you didn't do and you didn't know better, but you probably did know better. Yeah. So the things I'm telling you about is what was our undoing?
2: Yeah. Literally,
1: because yeah, we didn't build up that if I believe that if kids in America got to meet us on interviews, like we did in Europe and got to see us on television, not only would we sell more records, but they would have known who we were as people, which unfortunately uh, they never really got to do.
0: Yeah. And yeah. That's unfortunate.
1: We're in, <laughs> we were interesting. And I think that contributed to the backlash because we didn't do a lot of press mm-hmm. uh, because uh, let's say sometimes, um, Doug can maybe be a bit flippant
0: and had a bit of an attitude <laughs> issue. I wonder, and, I'm going to ask you about him later. I want all yeah, the details. Yeah, so in other words, yeah.
1: that is a result, because we didn't get back to people uh, and, and do all that, that's, people got a, a little you know, pissed off. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that contributed to the back. So I'm not going to blame people for making it up and, and basically hating us for no reason. I yeah. think we, we gave them reasons. To think, well, what's wrong with them? What are they hiding? Yeah. What do they? But we yeah. always had the talent, and and we were really good at doing interviews. So that make a, a little sense of why that was such a great success. We we did no
0: American television. I mean, is that just unbelievable? Yeah, yeah, that's not how it works. Um, let me ask you about the second album. So, but the little girls understand comes out, and by but then they did,
1: but they <clears throat> but they didn't.
0: <laughs> very true okay so uh, there's that's opening a passageway to something I wanted to ask about in regards now okay let's just get right to it one of the criticisms against the knack is often uh, the misogyny in Doug's lyrics and uh, that's unfortunately sure. I think a label that sort of follows you guys around were you aware of that at the time was anyone warning you well, about I, this
1: yeah yeah now here's what's interesting now, if Doug were Robert Plant,
0: Steven Tyler, Good or
1: any of the other sexual, beautiful Mick Jagger, people that sold sex, nobody would have cared. Yeah. You can't get more misogynist than the Stones or Led Zeppelin or Steven Tyler. Okay?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not saying negatively. I'm just saying you talk about girls. You it. talk about girls. right? You can take yeah. any rock and roll song and you can di- you know, dissect it, right? Yeah. And say, that sounds a little little too, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and you can go go all the way back to the, you know, early rock and roll. Yeah. Okay? And blues. You know what I'm talking about,
0: right? I get it. I get it. Yep.
1: It's all there. Okay. Because Doug was maybe more blatant about it. And Sharona did have a a rather, uh, you know, dirty lyric to a degree, except most people didn't know about it. They Mm -hmm. commented more on Selfish. And um, frustrated, maybe, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. and, and good girls don't, to a degree, because I had to make an edit on that, too. That mm-hmm. was Doug playing an adolescent, maybe, and Burton, too, because Burton co-wrote some of the lyrics. But that was only, like, working that big a deal. So we, we, we before the second album, we were doing our U.S. tour, which was wonderful, you know? It, it was fantastic, and me... Yeah coming back and playing Carnegie Hall. I mean, I grew up in Brooklyn, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, uh, for me to play Carnegie Hall was really, uh, something I could have, uh, you know, who, who would have ever thought that would happen. Right. 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 Sold out and people were going berserk and with darlings in New York. is fantastic, you know, but anyway, so we did the U S tour and now, We could have easily released two more singles from the album. Mike Chapman always says to this day... I wondered. You know, we should have released Frustrated would have been a great single. Uh, Otara, I like Selfish, but you'd have to edit it a lot. But let's say there were other songs that probably would have charted it on FM radio, you know? Doug felt that we had a, a, enough material to do a second album, and for some reason he had this this thing in his head like, "Hey, we're just we're going to go in and do another album. What's the big deal? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody goes in there and does albums. What's all this second guessing, marketing? I think he was a bit um, starstruck because we had such a great success, and maybe he. Um, wasn't didn't think it through, nor did the manager. And capital really had no desire for a second album. We haven't even exhausted the first album.
0: Yeah, uh, I wondered Honestly. this exact thing. Yeah, why were there now, not more? And I wondered if it was because the backlash against the band was already no, in no, full swing. No, back no nothing like nothing. that. Okay.
1: No, if we would have done American TV and 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 played, hey, this is a new song, Frustrated. I, yeah. I don't think anybody would have said anything bad. Yeah. I mean, if we were there to play Mike and by the way, the videos, there were no videos out. The videos were yeah. waiting from being made. Yeah. See, the thing is, if everything was timed, because Sharona was such a big, the album was such a big hit, we made, we had a video, but it didn't come out. Yeah. So we had no promotion visually of anything. Right. And I said, if we played the Grammys, we would have sold double what we sold in America, right. for sure. Anyway, All so right. dig this. We're, we're traveling back. We're talking about a second album. And then, you know, Doug started playing Baby Talks Dirty, and I remember hearing it. And I looked at the lyric, and I looked at the manager, and what, the, what is this? <laughs> we can't do this. I mean, first of all, the song, is, it's good, but it's not that. And the lyrics are blatantly disgusting. If, if uh-huh. Steven Tyler did it, and I only say that, uh, you know, complimentary-wise, yeah. he could pull it off. Yeah. Because that's his shtick, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I fought with the manager, fought Doug, got back to L.A., started the second album. Mike Chapman, unfortunately, was going through a divorce.
2: Oh, and Mike that.
1: wasn't the same Mike. as yeah. in, And to tell you the truth, that in itself should have put a, a dead stop on it.
2: Mm.
1: And I, I got to tell you, and, and at that point, Char- uh, Doug did get Sharona. And uh, it was a little different dynamic in the band because now she was hanging, and she was wonderful, you know, girl, but she was more hanging around with Doug. So Doug started to break off a little bit mm. from all of us because he, he had his love at his side. Got it. So the energy wasn't that good. Mike was in in, in not very happy person. Okay. And it, it, and when the mix came back, uh, I don't think anybody was excited, and I don't know why. I, I don't like the album cover anyway. The the yeah. in the insert of the album cover was cool, I thought.
2: hmm
1: You know, and okay. that should have been the cover. Right. And by the way, that the girl on the cover of the second album, Sharona. It is. And that's. Sh- yeah, and that shot by an amateur photographer in the audience of the Starwoods captured a picture of her, took that picture, and then Doug had them superimpose the stage and a microphone stand. No way. To have her looking up. Now, I never got it.
2: Uh, to this
1: day, I never mm, got it. It's like, mm, I don't get it. Why yeah. is she looking at a microphone stand? Well, we're up there. Yeah. Look at us. So that that was part of it. And okay. So when the album came out, rather than playing on American television, where are we? We're in Japan, playing Budokan and, and other places. And it was a wrong time of the year; it was winter, and stu- the kids were taking tests, and um, the Grammys were happening. So the album comes out. We're not here to promote it. No television. We're not doing it in stores. I mean, I mean, mm. this is like a Shakespearean tragedy.
0: Yeah, it and sounds like
1: it. I kind of felt it, but it. But it didn't have to be. In other words, yeah. you, know, you know what I'm saying? We had all the yeah. all the paintbrushes. Everything was lined up, man.
0: Yeah. And all we had to we do was up. show up. So, yep.
1: So anyway, we we, would, we we missed the Grammys. We the tour. We didn't promote the record. It entered the charts high, and nobody liked Sharona. I mean, Baby Talks And What did they compare it with? Sharona.
0: Sharona. So
1: sounds just it, like it. Go, "It's a weak, It's a riff. It's a riff uh, groove mm-hmm. guitar part." And why the heck? you know, you know, they're trying to copy themselves. No, they didn't. But unfortunately, because you, you know, nobody thought it through. In other words, if Mm -hmm. you're going to put out a, uh, the next song, it's got to be better or it's good. You can't put out a song knowing the critics were ready to, you know, shoot us. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I I think that added to the, um, the, the credibility of the band, even though the musicianship was good. I don't think it was it was recorded or produced as well, and basically because uh, it didn't have the spirit, even though the performances were good, you know.
0: Yeah. Did you? And, and go by the way, by the oh, way, oh, go ahead. No more yeah, things. please, please.
1: I found out later that they didn't play that song
0: in England English radio because of the lyric. Really. How's that for being Oh, pathetic? man? Well. Uh, sometimes getting banned is the best thing that can happen to you But it sounds like it didn't nah, work that way in this nah, case No,
1: no, no, this isn't the Sex Pistols you know?
0: <laughs> Good point, good point, yeah it, um, it, 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 it wasn't like, it was just being, like you said, more misogynist And yeah, the okay. lyrics themselves, like, it's hard to believe, you know Yeah, let's, uh, okay, let's get into Doug for a minute Because my understanding is that it sounds like he was somewhat of a divisive figure um, a great songwriter, a great frontman, but maybe uh, maybe too arrogant or something. And keep in mind, I wasn't there, so I I'm only I only know what I read. Was he off-putting to people, or well, is this aggressive aggressiveness in the lead singer is not necessarily a bad thing? No, you However, just got done saying all these other historic lead singers that can get away with that shtick, no problem. But well, when it's Doug and it's these power pop, got he got away
1: with it because they they had more of a sample side. Uh Aerosmith didn't change the world in one album or one song, either did Tom Petty. Tom Petty was an a-hole to a lot of people, but he was brilliant. You know, he was arrogant on stage, right? Yeah. And, you know, he was a great person, but on stage he had an attitude. Uh, You know, Doug really liked Johnny Rott. you know, believe Mm -hmm. it or not. He liked Mm -hmm. some of the punk stuff. But you see what I'm trying to say in terms of um, certain people... You know, a lot of these things are, are, uh, I guess, you know, could be turned a-holes mm. or narcissists or egomaniacs, but either they earn it because they have that intangible quality where, you know what, it's, it's called likability.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. And
1: I, I think Doug didn't get enough likability before he came off mm. of that. If he, we had another album and people got to know Doug. Doug had a great sense of humor. He's very intelligent. He's really a funny, warm guy. But yeah. people didn't get to know that person. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that's why they got more of a, car, a cardboard cutout yeah. of this attitude. And his attitude certainly put off people
2: because
1: yeah. they thought he was arrogant. And the arrogance could have worked in our favor, but not if you, you're in a pop band,
2: right? Rather right.
1: than being in a heavy metal band or some, point. you know. Uh, Something else. So, and yeah. there was not enough of a sample size either of us being together yeah. and being interviewed. More people heard separate interviews rather than band interviews. Do and you I know, think that also. Um,
0: do you know if he was ever sort of haunted by this? I mean, did he become more humble as the years go on went on? Or did he remain himself? Well, people it, came it back around? Com-
1: it was a bit complex. I mean, I think, you know, when you're in the business for a while, and, you're, you know, let, let me tell you something. When Doug... Doug had a group together with Burton and Bruce Gary first. Mm. And they had made some demos and shopped in the Capitol. And one of the songs they shopped the Capitol was Good Girls Don't. This is probably in 76, 77. Capitol turned it down, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And I I think maybe Doug had a chip on his shoulder, which I I understand. But when the group became a force, and again, nobody... We didn't buy clubs, we didn't buy audience. Everything we did was organic and I thought Doug is really happy. And if anything, we were more of a group. I think success, as we both know, when all of a sudden the song you wrote and the girl you wrote it about is the number one song in the world and might go to your head. Wouldn't yeah. it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it would. Yep.
1: And 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 I, I think maybe his own demons of alcohol to a degree and drugs mm-hmm. and maybe a chip on his shoulder got to be more self-evident. I think after the second album didn't work and we ended up breaking up anyway I, I think whatever self issues he had with himself, because I don't think he was a happy person,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I think he really got pretty pretty dark and depressed he, he wasn't as much maybe with us about it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but um, that changed in a little while. I think when when John Lennon passed away, now we had broken up and Doug was in a weird trip. Of, we're going to, you know, Bruce quit and we're going to get two drummers and we're going to go mm. in the studio. We're going to do an album. Fucking, We don't need anybody. You know, Right. And I got a vision, all that. So I said, oh, Jesus, he's you know, thinking of work, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, when Lennon had been uh, killed, which is the biggest blow to all of us. Right Uh, I got I called Doug And go look Let's get together And let's talk So the week before that Myself, Burton And Bruce had decided We're going to do Our own band Right So that kind of Changed that So we got that Together with Doug We decided We're going to make A third album We uh, You know Decided what producer And and Jack Douglas Had just finished making uh, Starting over You know That Mm -hmm. album Mm -hmm. And uh, We took a chance And called him And he wanted to work with us Mm -hmm. And, and it was like, Jack Douglas? My God, you kidding? <laughs> so, everything came out great, and we got yeah. together, and, uh, arguably, that, that's the second best album. Not, It's actually the best, best produced, best performed, the diversity of the music. You know, we're playing funk, we're playing, you know, great pop, we're doing, so- it's got everything in it. Yeah. And I was really proud of it, and Good. Jack was wonderful, wonderful. It says it's one of the, the best band he's ever worked with and to me coming from Jack it was fabulous so what did Capitol do
0: they picked the wrong single which one was the was it Pay the Devil was that the first single off that album Uh, that's not the right one
1: Here's the deal. Um, you know, I'm just tell- I'm being very transparent about it, and I, I never understood this. Because yeah. on that album, arguably, you could have said, "Well, maybe this song or Boys Go Crazy might have been good, or Another Last in Paradise maybe, or this, or they could have said we don't hear the single." But you put out a country ballad yeah. that's got this weird. I have. Mm. I mean, I didn't understand it. Yeah, and I, I didn't agree. understand why nobody put their foot down Doug didn't, that was more of a burden song
0: and I never understood why Doug didn't put his foot down Weird, that's weird um, I want to ask you specifically my very favorite Knack song is uh, Sweet Dreams Of them. Love it Especially are the MVP of that song. I mean, you are. We were talking about how um, not all these Beatles comparisons are accurate, and I agree, but that song has a very Beatlesque sound to it. Um, it does. You know, it sounds like. Um, I'm only dreaming. What I'm suddenly blanking on the name. Yeah. yeah, yeah Please not, don't wake not. me. No, don't shake me. Leave me as I am. I'm only a,
2: a little sleeping. bit, a little bit
1: of that, except for the bridge. But what's interesting is the piano playing, the honky tonk playing was Burton, which was brilliant, uh, and the slide guitar playing was brilliant. Ah. Uh, I mean, and which is very different. I mean, yes, it, it does it sound alike, but the sound it is. of it, and I used to work on that too, by the way. Really. But, but my favorite song is, is you know, I love funk, and so did yeah. Burton. And we saw Earth, Wind, and Fire. The bass playing on that track—I mean, uh, or, you know, Africa—and also like yeah. Radiating Love. Step
3: inside, so you step inside.
1: Incredibly, uh, I was very proud of those songs, and, and again, I think that that's owed to the musicianship, and I think Doug and Burton were at a very high craft of, of yeah. writing at that time too. But unfortunately, um, we had broken up. We were supposed to tour South America, and I don't know why Bruce quit again. And Capitol, it just felt weird, and you know, and uh, unfortunately, that effort. We did a tour though. Okay. The tour was received very well critically
0: too. It got great Good. reviews. Good. First okay. time ever. Yeah. Good. But, so and, when um, it ends, what do you do? I mean, you know, uh, Serious Fun doesn't come out till 91. That, I love that album too, by the way. Well, I'll ask you about that one in a second. But there's a, you know, there's a 10-year gap there. What do you do, Prescott, when the knack is over and you, and you don't know where your next... Paychecks coming from. Well, it,
1: well, when the nags first
0: ended, I joined Josie Cotton. You know who she is? uh yeah, of course. Yes, I wanted to ask you about that. Well, she just put out a new easy. album, which I think is yeah, I know. old well, music actually, you worked on, right? I, hey,
1: she's my friend. I just got her on the '80s tour with us. Mm. Awesome. I, I, I we went to the Val- they did a screening of Valley Girl recently. a screening of it in Tarantino's movie theater and in, in Hollywood. And you know, I hadn't seen Josie in a while, and we hit it off and. Uh, you know, I said, you touring? Yeah. So I was touring with Dale in this uh, 80s thing. And so Josie's going to do some, sh- actually doing some shows with us in LA. That's fantastic. Uh, in December at the Canyon Clubs. Great. Which is fabulous. But She's anyway, so jo- I got in love with Josie. I did five television shows in one month.
0: Whoa. Finally. Pu-
1: <laughs> and <we're laughs> and that person, couldn't swing it. But okay.
2: oh, it's like, wait a Go. minute.
1: You don't have a number one, but why are we doing all TV shows? <laughs> anyway, it was weird. <laughs> Good. and then we got an offer to do this this weird you know uh movie and or you know real independent movie and Martha Coolidge and we said sure went mm-hmm. down there and
0: who knew that's going to become a cult movie right yeah Valley Girl it's still and a classic and that, that soundtrack yeah, is huge that soundtrack is legendary it's
1: great you know it's funny because I hooked up with Gary Myrick who's got that song she talks mm-hmm. and sell you the on the soundtrack you know yep yeah. And uh, so we, we might do a tour with, uh, Josie and Gary, Mark and the figures, maybe on English and the blimpsos.
0: Nice. Um, nice.
1: As part of the, as an ode to the movie. But anyway, yeah. I did that for a while. I, I played with uh, myself, Burton and Bruce put together a band too.
2: Hmm. I Two didn't did know that.
1: with different lead singers. Yeah.
2: Okay. And,
1: and now this is, um, 80 before we got back together, when we're done with Doug, we had Steven Bauer. The actor as the lead singer. No, no way. What were you called? The front.
0: The front. Okay.
1: And and Stephen knew the knew the manager we were working with, and myself, Burton and Bruce, and Stephen Bauer was singing, and uh, he wasn't a great singer. He looked great, you know. His wife Melanie Griffith, she was pregnant with the first uh-huh. kid, and I'll t- I'll tie this all together, but you know, Steve was, you know, just you know was riding a wave of you know Scarface and a few other movies. Uh-huh. He was a great guy, and we did a couple of shows with him at the Forum, and we did something else. But he wasn't a great singer, and the manager we had was arrested, and mm. we were getting near a deal with Virgin Records. And when that happened, you know, Steve was going through a, a uh, party phase. Uh-huh. And so that thing broke up. Now, after that broke up, uh, somehow we, we hooked up with Doug, and we, went to, we did a benefit for uh, Michelle Meyer, who was a booker in Los Angeles. She had cancer, and that's the first gig we played with Bruce in, in, in a while, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I probably skipped over some. I'll get back to it. No, it's okay. But it's th- okay. that's when we, uh, yeah, I know what we did. We got together with Bruce, and we did that show, and then we started playing again. And if memory serves me well, things didn't work out with Bruce. We, that's when we had Pat Torpy replace Bruce, mm. who later was our last drummer, who, you know, had was Mr. Big? Yeah. So um, but anyway, Pat ended up playing with us again after he left us to join Mr. Big. Came back for the last few years of the band. So we tried to get a record deal. It did more. Then we, uh, Doug ran into Don Morris, who was a friend of his. We got mm-hmm. a new drummer, Billy Ward. New material. Doug got a hair extensions, a
0: tattoo, and went to the gym. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, we had a new image. <laughs> uh, hair extensions, I love it. Yeah, Serious Fun is a really good album. I remember I was in, I graduated from high school in 1991. And I remember seeing that album on all the, you know, record store end caps and stuff. But at the time, I didn't really know who the Knack were. I just knew there was this girl with a hula well, hoop on the cover. What, yeah, what now that
1: was, that was, and that wasn't any of the girls that uh, knew, which is better, you
2: know? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, Randy St. Nicholas, my friend, ended up shooting that one, too. And she shot, she shot Round Trip as well, which mm. is a great cover. Okay. And uh, now that album, we went with a, a subsidiary of um, Virgin Records, Charisma, new label. Yeah. Yeah. We shot a video, but unfortunately that didn't come out quick enough. Rocket of Love was top 10 AOR song, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. access yeah. yeah. Which is great. Got a lot of play. We have going to cross over to AM radio. Yeah. Um, I guess the A&R department for Charisma didn't follow up. We had a new manager, Bud Prager. A uh, partner was with us. Doug was in New York working with Night Rangers. He managed Mountain. A lot of great people. Nice. And uh, for some reason, there was a disagreement with the label. They couldn't get, we didn't get the video out.
0: Oh, that's too
1: bad. And so I think the album, I mean, it's kind of some of it sounds dated a little bit I think the musicianship is great Mm -hmm. Uh, my favorite song is Serious Fun I think the lyrics are fantastic oh good
0: one yeah
1: The other songs are i think really were were very well written and,
2: yeah
1: um and rocket of love was a good song and it didn't cross over so unfortunately mm-hmm. Prismer going down the tubes um kind of definitely messed that one up yeah unfortunately That's too we bad. did tour when reality bites came out thank yeah. god yeah G- did you know the story behind that? Um, well,
0: I know some of it. You tell me. I mean, that had to have been a huge shot in your arm at that point. Well, here's I mean,
1: the deal. At that same time, uh, Tarantino wanted to use my Sharona for Pulp Fiction.
0: Oh, really?
1: Yeah, but the thing was, it would be used in the uh, Confederate rape scene in the pawn shop. <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's great. And thank God for Ben Stiller coming along, because I got to yeah. tell you, I would... That would have definitely would be one of the worst decisions the band ever made.
0: Well, I don't know. That soundtrack sells a lot of copies. You might have, uh, you know, I think that went platinum, that album, probably even a couple of times over.
1: Well, let me put it like this. I'm just being more uh, my own desires.
0: Yeah, I would hate true. that
1: song to be associated with a rape
0: scene, okay? <laughs> very good point, very good point, yeah.
1: It would have killed it for a lot of people whenever they hear the song, they think of that scene, all right?
0: Yeah, good point, good point. If they would have
1: used it another part in the movie, I would have been overjoyed. Yeah, Are you good kidding? point. Now, nobody knew Pulp Fiction was going to be what it was, by the way.
2: Right, right.
1: So Ben yeah. Stiller came along, he loved it, you know, it, it was a great movie, and Sharona was used perfectly in that scene. You know, it got us a lot of play. We did a a tour out of it, and Sharona entered the charts, the
0: top 100 again for the first time. It's crazy. Do you know? uh, Did was Ben Stiller a fan of that song and just wanted to insert you in there? Yeah. Or Mm -hmm. what was? Is that it? Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, it it fit whatever
1: he had in mind. It It did. Yeah, it did. And uh, and it worked, and it really got it got a lot of. there was a lot of play for us. It was okay. really it was really a shot in the arm, you know.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let me uh, uh, When we talked before, you wanted me to ask you about Woodstock, and I want to hear some Woodstock stories. But before we get there, let's well, you, wrap want, up. Me to,
1: you want me to finish the next, analogy. Yeah. Yeah. We l- yeah. Quick. Let's.
0: Yeah. Let's. That's what I'm saying. Let's finish. <laughs> All up, right. So <clears throat> since we're
1: talking about your discography, so anyway, after the serious fun thing, you know, we broke up again, uh-huh. and. Um, I was doing different projects and Burton was, and I guess Bruce was back in the fold and we decided to get together again. Doug was going to do a solo album. He was, most of it was done. And then we got somebody involved to manage us and Danny Sugarman mm. and Danny had worked with the doors. He was a writer, you know, uh-huh. and Danny um, had, had some rep and he was uh, close with um head of uh rhino records anyway he got involved and said look guys you know um doug you're so out making a cut it you need to write new material so we got together and i actually got two songs in that album called zoom ah, i wrote um nice. gave burden writing credit on one and doug and another one i wrote harder on you Was actually submitted for that thing you do. Was it really? Yeah, right. but unfortunately, they they had picked the soundtrack already. Yeah, it was I I, it was late. I did I did a demo version with Bill Hudson, who was a friend of mine, and he cut the vocal for me. And uh, you know, Bill from the Hudson Brothers. Yeah. You know? Uh huh. Sure. But it was a little too late that it would have fit the movie. And then uh, you know, I got together and said, you know, why don't we do it for the album? So that worked out. And, uh, we had, t- we had played with Bruce, Danny was repping us and we got involved with Bruce again. And, and Bruce was, um, was just with some business things. And, and he was, um, it was, it was, had some issues and hmm. Danny was also dealing with some addiction issues and long story. And Rhino, we finished, we ended up getting, replacing Bruce with Cherry Bozio,
0: hmm. which was people go, nice. what? Yeah. It, it doesn't seem Terry like Terry Bozio playing
1: with the neck. What are you <laughs> right. talking about?: Well, I didn't believe it myself, but Doug met him, and they hung out, smoked cigars together, and uh, apparently Terry was in on it, and he said he wanted to play with us and he wanted to be part of the team. We cut the album, cut extra tracks, so he probably did 20 tracks with him
2: hmm.
1: and and uh, decided ill-advised to do a tour. This Rhino said they were going to have the album out in every Tower Records and all this, and unfortunately, didn't. Uh, and, if it, and if the tour went out, I had a lot of hopes for that, too. Uh, knew yeah. it was going to maybe be a second single, perhaps, and uh, it would have been great. But you know, we went out and toured and they didn't have the album in the stores. Terry got sick, and uh, you know, that ended that. So yeah. we came back, and that was uh, I thought that was really going to be, and
0: it got good reviews, too. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds and, great. Uh,
1: yeah, so in other words, like we were saying when you started this thing, yeah, we we made albums even though compared to my Sharon, a lot of people figured we did nothing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the albums in, in themselves, all the ones we mentioned, Round well, Trip especially to my heart, yeah. and Serious Fun and and Zoom had a lot of integrity and and really good songwriting.
0: Agreed. Yeah, and, it, uh, and, you guys weren't able to sustain it, but you were. You know, you you have a uh, a track record of quality. You know, there's what six albums in there, all of which stand up. They hold up. There's good stuff on all of them. You never. It sounded to me like you guys never really compromised. You were saying earlier these albums don't date those early ones, especially. There's no synths on them. There's nothing that right. ties it to you know new wave or anything like that. It sounds kind of timeless power pop. And that was pretty consistent. I got, I got
1: to tell you, when I, when I play uh, round trips with people, I don't tell them who it is. They have no idea. Mm, good, Especially good when plan. I play the uh, some of the, like, you know, Sweet Dreams or something. They go, well, yeah. who, what's that? Because yeah. Jack's production and recording was so good. It, by today's standards, it's top. You
0: know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I So do. anyway,
1: that, that, that takes us to that. And then I guess something we broke up. We, we toured for other reasons. And then... Uh, Doug had this album idea called Normal is the Next Guy and we cut a song, it was in a, in some weird movie or something and, and Doug, some of the songs on the album were good, some were and it wasn't really a Knack album oh, okay. uh, Image Image wanted to put out something Doug got to deal with Smile, we all did no, that was after Smile, I'm sorry and that album really didn't have much to it and, and I, I don't
0: think um, It's my least you name, know, to be honest. Yeah, I
1: don't I don't count that
0: Yeah, I don't love that album
1: yeah, there's two songs I really liked on there and it. uh um um oh it's funny because I ran into John Jorgensen lately who uh I did a Beatles thing. Uh I oh. played with um for the Breakfast with the Beatles, I ended up being part oh. of the Abbey Road thing. Nice. And John Jorgensen was playing guitar and Doug John was good friends with Doug and said, Hey, I played guitar one of you I said, What song was that? He said, uh, <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I'll tell you the song. and it's, But I actually like that song, too. Which is I'm looking at the track
0: listing right now. Girl, I Never Lied to You, Reason to Live, disillusion Town, Normal is the Next Guy. Well, Normal the Next Perso- Guy
1: was funny because I was able to do some funk.
0: Yeah, that's true. That is my but, favorite um, song. I like that song. That's probably my favorite. A world, the of, my,
1: a world of my own, I kind of like. Now it's Jorgensen on that one.
0: Okay. So long. And I like It's
1: Not Me. That's my
0: favorite song. Okay. It's Not Me. And
1: we we played that live, too.
0: Okay.
1: And that nice. was Pat on the running on that. But um, so, I mean, you know, and then they put out Funhouse thing and they did some stuff. And the thing that really, uh, you ever see the Carnegie Hall um, thing we did?
0: I haven't seen it. No, I've heard about it.
1: It's all over YouTube for years. It's been on. Okay. We, we, uh, Capitol Records, I mean, they shot us at Carnegie Hall. It was a great show. It's been out there, it's on YouTube. Okay. And we're trying to get it re-released by capital but nobody knows who owns it. Pioneer mm. originally put it out, um, you know, and they owned it on a, a laser disc. And then we can't find it to get the masters to remix it to release it. That to me really
2: oh, captured
1: true. a great live show, and it was and we were on the game of it, and even even on second generation, you can watch it, and it was it was really done well, and it's yeah. I think it it's the only thing that captured the band that it's
0: Uh, it's the time, you know, that's too bad. Okay. Yeah. Well, so that's uh, the, uh, Oh, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, so, um, we were still playing around and that's when, uh, you know, Bruce, um, had quit. We were trying to get together for one more time. It didn't work out. And, uh, you know, Doug starting, we played a show at the hard rock, came back to LA, just acting strange and weird. And, so he went in to get tests done, found that he had some, um, some tumors in his brain. At mm-hmm. the same time, Bruce Gary, who I was still friends with, was in, on the hospital life support because he had uh, cancer and never got it treated properly.
2: Mm-hmm. So That's I wasn't tough.
1: sure at that time if Bruce was going to make it or if Doug was going to make it. Well, Bruce, unfortunately, was at that last stages, and it was really difficult. I was trying to get them both together because there was still some animosity, but I couldn't get Doug there, because he was being treated,
2: sure. and it would have
1: been really wonderful, but I know Doug loved Bruce, and Bruce Doug, it was just one of these things, you know, but, yeah. so I had to say goodbye to Bruce, and then Doug fought courageously, through different operations, and we'd get together and play, and um, he's still really good, you know, he lost yeah. a little bit, but not that much, and uh, unfortunately, we couldn't do the last uh, tour of, of Cal- uh, Los Angeles, played whiskey again in Troubadour cause he was too sick at the time. So that right. kind of, uh, was the end of that, you know, Yeah, but a, but I'm, a lot of people have come up to me all these years and say, "Prescott, what do you do? You know, burden, burden, semi-retired. He, he's writing musicals. He's brilliant writer mm. and composer, but he doesn't want to play guitar on stage anymore or tour. So oh,
2: it's weird. down
1: to me and I've gotten offers to do tours. And, um, and I play with a lot of groups on these shows where they used to open for us. Yeah. I'm not saying it egotistically, but I'm no. saying it like
0: I'm right. just saying we were a great fucking bands. So. You're still out there surviving. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So ho- hopefully I might. Um, I mean, I do play with a lot of good players. So if I get something that I think is going to work, yeah. then I think, I think the material and the catalog deserve to be played for people. I agree. Do you know uh, that's going to do it.
0: Yeah, how do you, how, that was going to be one of my questions. How do you get by this? I mean, Doug is sort of a singular front man. Could the, is it worth it to trot out some kind of version of the Knack as it is today? Or, you know, Prescott Niles plays the songs of the Knack featuring whoever yeah. filling well, in? Is that two, something like that? There's
1: two ways to look at it. There's two ways to look at it. First of all, you know, I could I could spell the name differently. It's not the point. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm I'm the only one associated with the band. Yeah, and I put in thirty-one years. Yeah, so I mean, every show I do with Dale, or with Gary, or anybody else I play, people recognize me. They know who I am. They know the nag and they know Sharona. And everybody's right. telling me stories of when they saw me play. Yeah, so you know, I know guys that are like this guy who um, uh, Richie andaro plays in Sweet. He he was the drummer that came in. He manages, and he, you know, the only guy in Sweet. You know, all these bands I play with in the 80s tours, there's only one original guy and some don't yeah. even have any original guys. So in other words, I feel like I know I can do it right. I was there
2: yeah,
1: and nobody else is going to do it but me. I am going to have a book out. I mean, I did keep journals of, of the knack pre knack, obviously my life, yeah. you know, traveling to California, living in England, blah, 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 and my music career and. I did keep journals, and a lot of poetry. So I'm going to have a book out because nobody
0: else is going to talk about it anyway. Yeah. So that's yeah. why I'm talking to you. That's great. <laughs> well, this book is going to be amazing. When you look back, I mean, I hope yeah. that you can get this figured out because uh, you're right. I mean, the songs of the knack deserve to be played somewhere, somehow. I just don't know what the and most respectful and, and know, best way yeah, to I don't do it.
1: No damn tribute, Doing it. Yeah.
0: Right. Exactly. That's it. I
1: actually had I actually had a funny idea. Right. Because it was a tribute band, I found somebody says the the best not cover, whoever the hell it was. And I looked and I went on and I saw a clip and I wrote the guys. I I said, Look, you guys can do what you want to do as a tribute. Thank God you love us. But the bass player is playing with his fingers and he's 200 pounds and he's got a
2: mustache.
1: And the singer is okay. And the drummer is not playing the part and the guitar. And I go, I love you guys, but please, okay? So at that point, I was going to tell people, "Hey, I'm I'm actually in a NAC tribute band. Maybe I can make. I would probably make a lot of money if I did." <laughs> uh, you could. That's true. You got to have a sense of humor, right?
0: Yeah. Well, definitely. Yeah.
1: And, and I tried to keep, and I kept mine through all these years. And I'll tell you yeah. oh, asked after. Again.
0: Well, I was going to ask you, what do you think is uh, you know when you look back, it, the NAC got a little bit of a bad rap. You know, there was. A high high, and then some low lows, but you made it, you lasted, and some of these songs endure today. What do you think the, what's the legacy of the Knack today? I'd like to think it's more than Sharona. Because, yeah,
1: yeah I hear the song everywhere. I could be in Walgreens. I could be in Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. I could be in a, in a lift. The other day I was in a lift, you know, Uber driver. And he's playing some radio station, some rock 80s stage or something. And this is funny. This is a coincidence. It's amazing. And I think they were playing a song by Hart or something. And the guy goes, hey, you like music? Oh, yeah. I, I play bass. I play in a band. Who's, what band? I said, the Knack. You ever heard of us? He goes, nah. And I don't think he was from this country. But And he goes, you ever hear something like Sharona? I don't know, man. So he's driving me just as we get to my stop. Sharona plays on the radio station. No. Right? Really? And I go, that's my song. And oh, he goes, man. oh my god, I love that song. So you can tell I was I was excited because it was yeah. one of those things where you don't expect to hear it. I'm telling this guy who I am because he's listening to radio, right? FM radio, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the song comes on, and I'm picking up on his enthusiasm because he loves the song. So that gives me a connection. Yeah. By the way, it's not an everyday occurrence, nor do I love hearing it in Walgreens, by the way. It's right. depressing. <laughs> or the 99 cents still. But, you know, right. Trader Joe's, that's an upgrade. Uh-huh. But, um, <laughs> but at least it, when I hear it, you know, and I go, oh, damn, they're playing every other artist, too, and every other hit song. But, you know, we really did have a distinction. We, I mean, to have an album be number one for the whole summer and a single... Yeah. It's not. It's one in a million. Uh, it's yeah. one thing to have a single, you know, a lot of one-hit wonders. They have a single out, the albums don't sell, and you know, somebody produced it and it's great. But mm-hmm. you know, we had an album and a single that topped the American charts for the whole summer, and we were disco killers. There's yeah. a disco documentary that says the Knack basically killed disco because
2: really?
1: we, yeah, because we were the first new wave band that came out. That not just go off the charts. Because was just one, you know, ring my bell. All these other people were on the charts, and 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 I and I say, you know, it's funny because the next Sharona uh, is a great dance song. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's got a great beat. Yeah. So why not? But anyway, yeah. so when I look at that, it's like, well, that's a good thing to have done.
0: Good point. That's yeah. true.
1: I used to I used to love roller skating
2: to that song.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's a good. I one knew too, I yeah. knew
1: I was famous when I'd be I'd go to a roller rink that uh, some celebrities went to, and I remember skating to my Sharona with Jack Nicholson. So I said, "Okay, what? Oh, I'd that's share. great. I'm going. This is cool. All right." <laughs> but that was back then. But you know what uh, I'm saying? I you know? do.
0: That's the best. That's the best. And now,
1: lastly, with the knack now, because I played Sharona on YouTube. If you look it up, I played Sharona. Years ago, starting with, um, I have an older son, Noah, who wasn't part of that then at the time, even though I played with him later on. But Liv, David's been playing drums since he's two, and Liv started uh, getting into guitar late, like 15. Anyway, a year or two later, we're jamming with people doing Sharona. No and there's clips of us playing with, you know, Mike Pinera's thing. There's clips of us doing with other people, there's one. Where we did it with uh, we did a at the Troubadour with the Nelson brothers.
0: Oh, I love them! Nice.
1: Yeah, well, look, look it up. They're singing Sharona, and they love okay. the Mac. and they knew Doug, and I love Rick Nelson. Here I am with my kids, it's like five generations. Of, that right? That is
4: wild on
1: stage, yeah. but they they played it great, and we also Good. did at Pat Torpey's benefit. Uh, the drummer Pat, lovely, he had uh-huh. Parkinson's, and he passed away last May, mm. and uh, we played Sharona in tribute to Pat with my. Noah, Liv, and Gabe, and uh, Matt Starr was singing. So, oh, nice. uh, So, to me, that's where the song yeah. becomes alive. And at one point, I wanted to, I thought if I put the Knack back together with my kids and maybe got, my my son mentioned, maybe getting the singer from Hanson. Oh, who fun. Who is part of the family, right? Yeah. And I know that if I did that, I would be in every television show in America.
0: That's right. That's right. Plus, he—he, uh, he, you probably know this—did a one-off power pop album with called Tinted Windows. That is fantastic. Yep. It's one of the yep. best power pop albums ever, and it's a one-off with Bunny Carlos and Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne. That thing is amazing. He would be great.
1: Well, he's, well I, that was a consideration. Now I don't know if I kick myself sometimes because that time period seemed like a great idea. And my kids started to play in their bands, and then they ended up doing an album. And I know part of it, and I understand, I didn't want to, and by the way, I'm close to them. Mm -hmm. I go to all their shows. They're in my dressing room. I'm in their dressing room. Nice. And, uh, which is rare, as you can well imagine. We're really close. And uh, I never managed them because I knew it would destroy our relationship. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm Mm-hmm
1: i would tell them like hey i think this is a good idea if i were you i'd maybe do this but i I had to live with their mistakes because i couldn't otherwise you can't you can't be a parent and also manage you know i could advise them but once they started rolling i think they really wanted to make it on their own and not go Well, you know we're we're famous for playing next songs with you dad and Mm-hmm. so it, it, it would have worked and it still might work someday mm-hmm. but I, I really think that I had to be unselfish and realize that to them they wanted to make it on their own even though yeah. I'm, when they people talk about them of course they mention I'm their dad and all that but I think they don't want any favors and I respect mm-hmm. that and they're really t- talented in their own right you know and yeah. they all sing and they play and, and they got their own sound and they're good songwriters and uh, so I, that that to me I, I, that would have worked, and still could work maybe, and that was the closest I got to actually putting that together.
0: Good. Okay. Okay.
1: You should just um, have that for your own intro.
0: No, that's good. Um, to close us out here, tell us about Woodstock. When we talked last week, okay. you mentioned you were there. Summarize for us at Woodstock. Give us your favorite All story.
1: Right. Well, let me give you. Well, I'll, let me, I'll tell you. I, I grew up in uh, Brooklyn, right? And, uh, of course, like everybody else, you know, the Beatles changed everybody's life. And I, until I was 13, you know, I was going to be a shortstop on the Yankees, you know. <laughs> I was a gifted baseball player, I was a top hitter in the Little Leagues, Brute Leagues and all that. And, um, you know, once music started, I started to play acoustic a little bit, took a trip to California with my family. And all of a sudden, black and white became color. And California was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And, you know, music was happening. Light My Fire was number one song. Got back to uh, Brooklyn, still played baseball, but I started to play bass. And I knew at that time that nothing, you know, the the smell of grass in the baseball field is not parallel to Fillmore East with Mm -hmm. patchouli oil girls with mini skirts and, <laughs> nice. and in, in the most amazing music ever heard yeah. because as you know that was the golden era sure and seeing the who when i was 14 the Oddbirds, at the anderson then and going to fillmore all the time and and seeing you know i loved i mean i love jefferson airplane
2: mm-hmm.
1: i mean he's one of my ba- uh, bass playing icons jack cassidy i saw Jimi hendrix i saw sly and the family stone that sent me into tears i oh, loved him
0: i do too i mean
1: that's the thing I think There were there were camps of yeah you know, music case and everything but everything was Albert King was like, like I love the blues uh-huh. next week it would be you know um, uh, something else you know I mean yeah. everything was happening and I'm not saying that's the golden age but I got to tell you as a kid learning to play and being around that stuff so anyway getting to Woodstock I heard about Woodstock. And I had a. I used to go to Catskill Mountains every summer, which is not far from where Woodstock was held. And I remember going up that summer with a friend of mine. We're hanging out with some girls and at a bungalow colony. And I remember seeing a poster about Woodstock. And I looked at my friend and go, "Look, we don't have any money. No. Well, why don't why don't we just like hitch to Woodstock and like figure out how to g- g- get in there and all that, right? Mm-hmm. So." Fortunately, this one girl I was seeing in her closet, she had an empty acoustic guitar case. I said, "Where's the guitar?" She goes, "I don't know. This guy left it here. Why don't you just take the case? You know, I don't play guitar. Mm-hmm. It's a cheap, cheap cardboard guitar case, right?" Walk down to the road with my friend. I'm looking at a sign in the uh, telephone pole of who was playing. I said, "Do you ever hear this band?" Yeah, I hear this band. Do you ever hear Santana? He goes, "No." Mm-hmm. I said, "Neither have I." I tell you what. Now, I had long, curly hair. And I go, okay. why don't we hitchhike and say we're in Santana and fucking somebody will take us to Woodstock. My friend goes, no. I go, yeah, let's try it. Guy comes over and says, what's up? I go, hey, man, listen, you see I'm, I'm in a band from L.A. called Santana looking sign, We're up there. Can you give us a, like a ride near Woodstock? And the guy goes, okay.
0: <laughs> oh, no way. Nice.
1: Now, here's, here's the catch of this story. After all these years, I wondered if the guy who drove us there was telling people he drove the guy from Santana there.
0: <laughs> you might be right. Oh, but anyway, so
1: I got up there. I, I figured my, my, my hustle was I was going to pretend to work there, you know, hammer nails because I mm-hmm. couldn't afford a ticket. So I got there a day earlier, signed up to do some hammering. I hammered a few nails, swear to God, they were building like the areas, right? Yeah. Uh, after I worked a day, I signed out a timesheet. Uh, I met a girl, I went back to the town itself, half slept with her, she left. I woke up, hitched back, and walked back to Woodstock. I got in because all the gates were kicked in, right?
2: Mm-hmm. You need mm-hmm.
1: tickets. And because I got there and because I had a thing saying I worked there, I was able, now my friend, I lost him, so I was by myself. Okay. No money. <laughs> great clothes. but I don't know what. So because of that, I met somebody who worked there. He did security at the top of the hill. I got him to get me a pass. That means I had a place to sleep. I had no idea I was gonna sleep, by the way. Mm
2: -hmm. I had
1: a place to sleep, and because I met him, I met somebody else, so I got security passes, and ended up, uh, when the Who played and flying everybody, I was about 100 seats on the stage.
0: Oh my gosh, wow. And it was
1: muddy, and it was hell, but I had a place to sleep. No phone, I don't know how I survived. Wow. You know, Selective memory, I wish I had a camera. But I was there for the whole thing, um, and I, you know, again, i have seen a lot of the acts in Fillmore and New York and stuff before, mm-hmm. but I'm telling you, you know, when I see the movie, I do get flashbacks, and a lot of the groups who I remembered as being great were great, and Credence, yeah. and 10 years after, I had seen Jimmy, of course, I had seen him three, four times before Woodstock, Crazy. and I, I loved The Who, they were my favorite band, and Sly was brilliant, canteat, all these cats.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: So so that was my experience. And after it was over, you know, Jimmy when Jimmy played, everybody had left. I basically was sleeping and couldn't playing and ran down the hill and then I realized how the hell am I gonna get home? <laughs> so I started I started hitchhiking, some hippies picked me up in a Volkswagen bus, gave me a hit pot, fell asleep, woke up in Queens and took the subway home.
0: No way. What an yeah, adventure.
1: Yeah, and then my mom goes, where the hell you been? I'm going, oh, you won't believe it. <laughs> now, here's now here's the best part of the story. This is all true. I said, uh, Mom, I worked there. She said, you're full of it. I go, no, I swear God, I'm going to pay you back. I got a check for $34.
0: <laughs> How'd you do that?
1: Because I was on payroll, and I gave my address.
0: No way.
1: <laughs> That's great. I swear. and yeah. I know it's true, because I was. I, I took so much pride in shoving the check in my mom's face and going I it. hey. I told you I worked. Keep the damn check. <laughs>
0: that is great.
1: <laughs> so can you give me ten bucks?
0: <laughs>
1: oh man. Anyways,
0: right. So that's on. my
1: Woodstock story and, and I love it. And then and then a year later, here's the catch, I told you. I mean, you can edit this, but a year later I'm with Velvet Turner at Woodstock signing a record deal with Michael Lang. How's that?
0: With Michael Lang? Crazy.
1: Michael Lang was starting a record company called Sunshine Records. A year later, after Woodstock, Jimmy had died in the summer of 1970, September uh-huh. 70, right? Mm-hmm. I came back in California to play with Velvet. We got a record deal. We were recording an album in February of 71.
2: Wow. Oh, no so
1: We signed the deal in Woodstock probably around Christmas.
0: How's that
1: for weird? That
0: is crazy. And that's all because
1: Jimmy had died because Velbert knew Jimmy and Uh. people thought Velbert was going to be the new Jimmy.
0: Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
1: That That got me to California. And then from there, you know, I traveled. I was in England for two years and Boston for a while. So, anyway, that's just part of the the thing. That's wild. I guess you're going to have to read about it one day. But I guess when the knack hit, you know, I wanted in some success, of course, and I've been ups and downs, and mm-hmm. they were the great group in England. I thought I was going to hit it then and didn't hit it with somebody else. But the that just was organic, and I will yeah. say that. There was no hype, yeah. no money behind us, no record label. We just did it.
2: Yeah, and that's the it. thing
1: I'm most most proud of. We had no hype, nothing. I mean, yeah. we worked $50 for two sets a night at the Star with a troubadour, Great.
0: That's right. You know,
1: and I was driving an old man around learning to tune pianos with him, <laughs> a blind guy.
0: Seriously. I believe it. That's why Doug
1: was working. Doug was working the licorice pizza. Burton was hanging drapes with some guy, an interior designer. And Bruce was, Bruce was the most accomplished. He was doing a lot of sessions, you know? Uh huh. So I guess that's maybe that man, works. Some
0: of the rumors. That's great. You know? Well, look, I, uh, I have been wanting to kind of hear and, uh, tell the Knack story on here for years. So I'm really grateful that we got to do this. And um, because, you know, the, like we've said, there's a lot of, there's obviously a Wikipedia version of the Knack story, and then there's oh, the it's real a story. Yeah, and well, you've I- I clarified you, what you that get, is.
1: Well, I wanted you to get the full depth of it. I mean, again, glad you the did. fact that we, we weren't prefabricated, the fact right. that we didn't take the biggest deal, the fact that if anything, we took the smallest deal, the album capital had capital didn't spend any money on promotion that's yeah. the other thing you got to know this we yeah. weren't even in la capital started to put shit up but the record took off immediately and they would didn't even promote it
2: yeah yeah
1: so so the only thing that again i wanted to get across is the integrity of the group is great and 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 mm-hmm. You know, you could say we failed, we did, yeah, well, if you make bad decisions, you're going to sink your ship. And I think the next story was, I think if people got to know us in America, as people, not just an album cover, and got to, you know, we were unique and funny and a lot lot of good things going for us. And I think my biggest, doesn't matter about sadness or remorse, is that I don't think we would have been rejected. We would have been embraced if people got to know us.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah,
1: watching Doug's attitude, but everybody had an attitude and See, in
0: Sure.
1: Anyway, so I hope you got my drift
0: on that one. I did. There you have it, Prescott Niles. There's the full story of the knack, too, eh? I mean he like I said, he wanted to make sure it got out there. They're a band that deserves the real story. There's a lot of rumors, there's a lot of innuendo, there's a lot of, you know, Wikipedia level. Uh, research done about this band and you think you understand and then you talk to or you listen to Prescott and you get that there's way more than that going on so anyway now we know the story thank you Prescott I want to close it out with something a little different he mentioned his kids band gateway drugs they're really really good and so I thought let's play a gateway Drugs song this is called Fridays are for suckers it's from their first album magic spells and that's magic with a CK. This album came out in 2015. It's really good. If you love that power pop, psych rock kind of sound, this is just in keeping with the rest of that. Um, I'm not 100% sure what I'm gonna run the next two weeks, to be completely honest. So, you'll just have to wait and find out. Uh, Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Mokiewicz. Thank you, buddy, my right-hand man, for doing everything that you do. We're so appreciative. You guys know how to find us on Facebook by now. You can like our page, you can send us a message on there, you can send us an email at the hustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at The Hustle Pod. We have some a lot of bonus material. Um, there's a deep dive, there's a promo mode in the can. I'm not entirely sure when they're gonna come out. Really depends on Yan and his schedule, it is the holidays after all. But uh, we you may see something in your feed later this week, okay? Thanks everybody, we will talk to you next Tuesday.